This is Bobby Adcroft, and this is my podcast, Be Real Now. Today's guest is a dear friend, and his resume of life accomplishments are lengthy, but I'll just name a few. He's an accomplished musician, bringing joy and love to all with his music and his incredibly great singing voice. He's a Marywood graduate, a media guru, and has for over 25 years his own media company. I say he's an incredible media creative genius. But knowing Dan, his greatest accomplishments in life are his wife, Chris, and his three sons, Alex, Christian, and Bailey. Along with his love for his family, is his love for God. Welcome, Dan Simrol. Who are you, who are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking to this dude that I saw wow. at a Christmas party three or four months ago and said, hey man, you wanna do a podcast? This is a very small room that we're we're recording, and, and my head's not going to fit. So <laughs> just knock it off. So Dan, let's talk a little bit about life. Oh my goodness! I know. Where do you start? Right? Where do I start? I mean, we both come from large families. Yep. We both are married to incredible women. We sure are. We have incredible kids. We do. How and how many in your family? You are. I'm one of nine, and my wife and I have six. And she's also from a big she's family. She's one of 12. That's crazy. And I'm one of five. Yeah. But I, my dad is one of seven, and two of my uncles each had nine children. Wow. Um, we were considered one of the smaller families with just five, <laughs> the smaller Simrel families. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, so big families were a thing. They They're are, not so much a thing anymore, but they... If, if you have three kids now, that's a big family. Yeah. Big families today are three. Oh, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's like 1.5. I can't ever figure that out. You know, the average family is 1.5. I'm like, yeah. what? I guess the, the, the wife is expecting it. I time. would have been the 0. 0.5. That would have been <laughs> me. <laughs> I would have been the half a kid. Yeah. Um, so, Dan, there's one thing that we left out that we have in common. What do we have in common? What is that? Our love We're, for God. Oh, yeah, we definitely, definitely. I mean, we give credit. Yeah, we do, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And, you gosh. know, it's funny because some people don't like that conversation. Some people are like, oh, man, that's weird. I don't like that. That's not cool. Nobody's comfortable talking about God. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, we're raised Catholic and you go to church and it's okay if the priest is talking about God and Jesus. And it's like, yeah, it sounds right coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And then the moment that you walk out into the parking lot, if somebody said, hey, let's talk about Jesus, you'd be like, ah, I have to go to lunch. <laughs> this is weird. I don't talk about you know, I think because partially because it's the way we were raised. Right. You know, and the priest was really the only one that talked about it. or our mothers. Yeah. I mean, my mom was like a whip crack and like we're going to church and every day. Yeah. Yeah, and, my mom was uh, too. Yeah. And daily communicant. And the sacraments and Lent and Advent and No Me Down Fridays. And I mean, we really followed it was like we followed the the letter of the law. We but we just didn't talk about it outside yeah. of church a whole lot. I hear you. Um, and you certainly didn't talk about it with your friends. I'm fortunate now at 55 that I have some friends, some close friends in my life where we can have some pretty good, solid, and deep conversations about God. Well, your dearest friend. Yeah. Well, Pat. My very closest friend is a Catholic priest. I mean, he is, <laughs> if you met him and he wasn't in his clerics, you'd wonder if he was a priest. Yeah. But he is just one of the coolest guys. Um, was a tremendous positive influence. He was like a, a big brother to me. Um, he filled in a lot of the gaps um, that a father, that you'd want your father to be. But mm -hmm. if your father was like from my dad's generation that wasn't able to talk about things, yeah. like Pat was able to fill in 
and still continues to fill in a lot of those blanks. I mean, I remember I was 13 mm-hmm. when, when m- my parents decided they were going to have the talk with me. Now, my mom is a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. And I used to read, I mean, I was 10, 11 years old. I would read her nursing books cover to cover. Wait, the talk. Define that. What do you mean the talk? The sex talk. Oh, I, I never got one. Yeah, well... I didn't I, get the sex talk. I never got... I Technically, I did not get the sex talk either. But by the time I was 13, I, mean, I was almost 14 years yeah. old, I knew everything yeah. from my mom's books, from those textbooks. Oh, what an advantage. I read and I looked at the yeah. pictures and I knew all the words. I, I didn't know how to pronounce them. Yeah. But but I knew what the words were and I knew how to spell them. Wow. And I knew I knew how the body worked. Yeah. And I remember I opened the door to my bedroom um, and there was a little trifold pamphlet on the bed. Wow. And it was like... You got an was, education early. It was rough. Like I mean, for me, I was I remember I'm in my basement watching Starchkey and Hutch. Oh, wow. And, and one of the guys says, hey, you know, be careful of the hookers. And you know, I'm 13 years old. I'm like, Dad, yeah. what's a hooker? Oh. And he says to me, what? <laughs> what's wrong with you, son? <laughs> like he was disappointed. Yeah, I'm like, right, what? Right. I mean, a hooker. Well, he didn't. You didn't write the script. Yeah. I'm he like, just, I, why do they call them hookers? <laughs> yeah, right. What are they, fishing? What's happening? Yeah. So um, I, I'm like perusing this trifold pamphlet and I'm yeah. like, this is a joke. Like, this yeah. is hilarious. Like, yeah. clearly one of them picked it up at the Guild Studio and they dropped it through it on my bed. And about five minutes later, my dad stuck his head in the door and he's like, uh, if you have any questions, uh, go talk to your mother. And I'm like, this was it. This was the this was That the was time. it. I, you got the book, right? <laughs> I, I made a vow at that moment, if I ever had kids one day, that this would not be the way that they would yeah. have the talk. It would not go like that. Yeah. But it was the way that, I mean, it was definitely a generational thing. It absolutely and, was. Um, and in a lot of ways, like, um, you know, my mom wasn't a hugger. Neither one of my parents were like big on hugging. Parents were not in that generation. It was a generation. And they certain, certainly were not, I love you, parents. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It was rare. If yeah. you even knew somebody and you'd hear the their you'd hear their parents say, I love you. Yeah, no. Like you'd be like, What is what something's is something's wrong? That's weird. What's going on <laughs> in that family? Yeah. We didn't even hug. Oh and we loved each other. Oh yeah. But no, there that. was no hugging. It was unspoken. Yeah. And now we have trained our parents, me and um my siblings have trained our parents. We just say I love you all the time. That's cool. And my dad has gone from uh, right back at you to I love yeah. you too. Or he would be the actual would be the first one to say it. Yeah. As our siblings, like we had, a, we had trouble saying it to each other. Yeah, it's it's not easy. It's not easy, it's and not it easy. should be so. It should feel so natural, and it didn't. And I know it. I know it. It took a while. Yeah, I mean, if you bookend it, if you say something before and after, I love you. Yeah, you know, like add like I love you, man, or like hey, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it makes it easier, you know, Dude. as long as you frame it right. Right. But just the I love you. That's that's. It's tough. a lot. It's it's a lot to hear. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah. And now I'm like, it's funny once the, it's like once the dam breaks open and the, like, it's like, now I just tell everybody I love them. I hug it. Yeah. I'm a hugger. Yeah. Now I love hugging people and I love telling them I yeah. love them. Um, I, I had lost when I was um, 26, my youngest sister, Jennifer passed away. She was at college and she got very sick. Um, mm. She got some kind of infection and within two or three days she was in the hospital and two or three days after that she had died and it was just it was awful she was 20 years old beautiful jennifer yeah and from that moment and that was gosh that was 1992 so from that moment on that changed our family to where we became much more open to saying 
I love you. Yeah. At the moment that we were thinking them or feeling them. Yeah. Because we knew how short, how completely temporary everything else was. Mm, you know? We never know. Yeah. That was a game changer. Oh, that is so sad. I am so sorry. And I see, um, every year I see her picture in the paper. Yeah. And I'm like, she is the most beautiful yeah, young lady. Yeah, she was absolutely beautiful. Breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, that so uh, that's just it's just another reminder of how fleeting everything is and how temporary everything is. Yeah. Tell me, Dan, at what age did you find yourself where, you know what? I like the idea of God in my life. I always liked the idea of God in my life. Mm. I, I remember my first Holy Communion. I remember getting that little prayer book that you'd get, and there would mm-hmm. be a little rosary pocket in there. Mm-hmm. I studied that book cover to cover. I loved being in church, I loved receiving communion. Of course, I love the idea of getting a bike for my first Holy Communion yeah. more than that. But um, we were always in church. We just, my, my parents always took all of us to church. Yeah. And we always sat together as a family. My mom and dad were the bookends in the pew. And yeah. like you just grew up going to church. It's what you did. Yeah. And it was more, it was more of a, we never felt like it was something we had to do. Like, oh, we have to go to church. Like we just went and yeah. we did it and it was it was kind of neat. We, we, all of my cousins, which we're very and still close to, they all lived very close to Nativity Church in South Scranton. So mm-hmm. we'd see them. We'd see them before church. We'd go to Michael Tom's after church, and we'd have a big breakfast. So it was always a thing. Yeah. My grandmother lived right across the street from the church, so we'd go see her after church. Yeah. So we never associated it with something like I got to do it long and boring, and we have to do this. So mm-hmm. I like. I always liked having God in my life. And I think when you're raised Catholic, it's kind of like you just accept it. It just feels kind of like the thing that you're going to do. What changes is my, what changed was my personal relationship with God. Mm -hmm. It became, I grew into it. I fought it. I I went through very dark times in my life when I was very angry with God. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we've come to a really nice understanding with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I get it. I mm. get I get what he was trying to tell me all it takes his this time. time. Well, I took my time. I fight it. I mean, it, it takes as long as you want it to take, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, you can you know, if you're going to do a job that you don't like to do, like paint your house, mm-hmm. you can paint it in a weekend, just keep going, mm-hmm. or you could take your time and paint a couple boards a day for years. Right. You know, I, that's kind of how my faith was with God. I'd go in spurts, fits mm-hmm. and starts like you'd... I would be really into it. And then I'd be like, yeah, no, I don't, you know, but once again, in, as with this was the story with most of my life, I always laid it off on God. It was never my fault. Mm-hmm. If my relationship with God was not, God, why did you do this to me? Yeah. It was always somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Always. Um, and that's immature. It's immaturity. It's lots of things. And it took me, a, it took me going through some crazy twists and turns in my life. Tell me a little bit about your music career. I'm enchanted with your music. And I, you don't give yourself enough credit always. You're well, like, I don't consider myself a musician by trade because I don't do it uh, for a living. I mean, And I, I didn't study it. I didn't, like, I took guitar lessons for six months when I was a freshman in, in high school from mm-hmm. a man named George Costanzo. Wow. He was this short. He was a musician too. He was an actor and a musician. No, a different George Costanzo <laughs> from the Costanzos from... Uh, from South Scranton. Okay. He was this short Italian guy. I loved this guy. Yeah. And lessons were, I don't I think they were like 50 cents or a dollar. I went wow. once a week. Yeah. 
And uh, I wanted to learn how to play dueling banjos. That was one of the songs I wanted to learn how to play on yeah. the guitar. And the other song I wanted to learn how to play was um, Freebird from Leonard wow. Skinner. How about that? Wow. Yeah. My musical tastes were all over the place. So you played multiple instruments then, I, I imagine. I, well, my parents forced me to take piano lessons when I was in grade school, probably second, third grade, which I hated. I wow. grew to hate the piano. Wow. I and that's like them, second, like a little second grader. That was piano lessons. Got to yeah. do it, Dan. Oh yeah, scales, the whole yeah. thing. I just, I literally hated it. I grew to hate, hate, hate it. Um, but and, why was guitar different then? Because guitar was my choice. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school, and I decided that I, I, I was so shy. I was so backward and introverted and shy, painfully shy. I was the third of five children mm-hmm. and my oldest sister, she's the, you know, firstborn and my older brother was the oldest boy and, mm-hmm. um, he, he commanded the room when he walked in and I just was just awkward. I just really struggled. A friend of mine started to play guitar and I'm like, that's, that's what I need. I need something physically between me and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I wanted to learn how to play the guitar and lessons were cheap. Yeah. And I was going to do this. I was going to do it on my own. And my both of my parents were very supportive. And they said, you have to practice. If you're not going to do it and do it, like stick with it, then we're, we can't support it. And I'm like, I totally get it. Yeah. They were burned from the piano. <laughs> but yeah. this was my choice. This was But different. now, do you remember your first, like, we'll call it your first gig as a kid? My first, yeah, my first gig was uh, freshman in high school. I sang a song in the spring concert at Bishop Klonowski. Um, I was 15, 14, I was 14 years old Mm -hmm. and I sang like, it was like 1890s music hall review song, like Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer do. And I did a duet with this other girl and, uh, I couldn't believe that I did it. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. I, I wasn't playing any instrument. I was just singing. Right. Um, but the, but a year later I had learned guitar well enough where I played cats in the cradle. I love that song. And my mom and dad were staring at me from the audience, could not believe that I was actually playing this song yeah. and singing it. Yeah. As my dad just was weeping. Ah, uh, it makes me cry. <laughs> weeping. May- I'm going to tell you a quick story. This is like early 80s. I'm starting out in radio. I worked for uh, WSCR, people would know it as. Um, it was actually WBQW, 1320 on the AMB on Kaiser Avenue. I remember. And um, as I was pulling in my first day of work, Cats in the Cradle comes on, and I'm, I'm starting to cry because I thought, you know what? I am not going to let this happen. My dad worked all the time. Right. And I right. was working in the donut shop prior to that, and I thought, I'm, I'm not going to do the same thing. I'm yeah. not going to just be at work all the time. I've got to do a new career. So I made that commitment and saying, you know, I'm going to have a better balance in my life. And I'm like early 20s here. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love that. Can you play a little bit of that? I can. I'm going to just play a little tiny bit. I just happen to have my guitar here. All right. <laughs> it just happens to be All right. right. I'm a little rusty. Well, my child arrived just the other day. Came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch, bills to pay. Learned to walk while I was away And he was talking before I knew it And as he grew He said, I'm gonna be like you, Dad 
You know I'm gonna be like you And the cat's in the cradle in the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man in the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when We'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then Wow, that was... I just, love that song. Just like the record. <laughs> it was like I was listening to the ghost of I love it. I, I love it. Music for me evokes such an emotion. I mean, it's like a universal language. It's, it, I hear music and I either, either yeah. as you well know, I dance. I either start <laughs> dancing or singing. Wow. Well, I yeah. mean, some people would call it dancing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would. I've seen it. I, I do the know. jig. I, I do a crazy it's, movement. It's more of a fit. I don't know what you're doing. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, you remember the weddings we crashed? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. I, I don't think legally we're allowed to talk about that. No. Um, music for me has always been the bridge to other people. Oh, cool. You know? Yeah. Um, my musical tastes are all over, literally all over the board. Yeah. I love hard rock. I love uh, bluegrass. I um, love easy listening. Like, I love music from the 70s. I yeah. love... I will go from playing John Denver to playing um, Blue Oyster Cult to wow. playing ACDC. Wow. You on the range. guitar, on the guitar, or to, and to go play, and then go to church, church music. See, I love your, I love the John Denver tone with you. Like that's okay. the, the cats in the cradle, the John yeah. Denver. The singer songwriter stuff. Yeah. yeah. Everybody does. Well, the lyrics are so easy to follow. Yeah. I agree with that. I and agree and with it's that. like, it, it, it's like, you know, sweet. It's like, oh, I yeah. like that song. You could understand it. You're like, right. oh, you relate to it. Right. You know? It, yeah, it's, it's my favorite. And um, I have a band that uh, we get together for some friends of mine. And we don't play off. We haven't actually played at all since COVID. Yeah. Um, but we would play two, two, one or two free gigs a year. The free band. Yeah. The you get what you pay for band. Um, and uh, we play stuff all. My son's a drummer. He plays with the band. Yeah. My, son, my second son, Christian. Um, all of my children are all musically very talented. Now, did you like your parents say, hey, you got to do this, man. No, You're going to enjoy. No, I made it a point to put instruments out. I just left them out because I would play them, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd play when I wanted to play. There's a, there's a reason why it's called playing an instrument really? and not working an instrument. Yeah. It shouldn't feel like work. It should feel like fun and playing and having a good time. So they all play an instrument. They would pick it up. I'd hear them in the other room. I'd never go say, oh, yeah, play something. I'd, I'd yeah. be like, all right, let them go. Let them yeah. go. This is let them find it. And they all play multiple instruments. All three boys play multiple instruments. Do they sing? They all sing, too. Yeah. I mean, like go. solo, like you? I mean, they... They all sing solo and they sing with each other. They harmonize with each other. They're pretty funny when they get together. They're that hilarious. That's cool actually. stuff. Yeah. I mean, I find it's easy to chime in. Like you were just singing Cats in the Cradle yeah. and I was like, I'm going to sing a little bit of this because right. Dan sounds so good enough. I'm quiet. No, no. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I, I find... That's where I find God. I find God on Sundays at 11 o'clock in Tunkhannock. At Nativity BVM Church, doing the music. That's me cool. and my wife, Chris. And we're up there, just the two of us in the choir loft. And like, that's where, you know, I mean, there were times when we sang and there were three people in church, literally three people in church. Mm -hmm. In the last couple months, 
you know, when, Wait, when, at a mass, like at a mass, there's the yourself, priest, Chris, the priest, and, and then three other people because it. it was icy or raining or snowing or whatever up right. there and, and, co- COVID. and COVID on top yeah. of it. Yeah. And then now it's back to like maybe churches two thirds full, which is awesome. Yeah. But whether there are three people there or, you know, uh, you know, 130 people there, it doesn't matter to me. Right. Because I'm not singing to them. I'm singing to God. Right. That's between me and God. And they just happen to hang out and, and kind of listen in on what's going on there, my relationship with God. That's where I find God. Priests change, churches change, flowers change, right. seasons change. You get good homilies, you get bad homilies. But for me, it's like the music is where I'm, I always know that's where I'm going to find God. Wow. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So and it doesn't have to obviously be in church. Oh, it's hilarious. Like I do campfires and uh, I'll do some with my family and I'll do some with friends. And like, I know they went to Catholic school. So yeah. like everybody, we all learn the same songs. You oh know? yeah. So right. Um, like I'll break into some like glory and praise songs from when we were kids, like sing to the mountains and everyone knows the words. Yeah. It will just do, and it's hilarious. I love that. Everybody will just, will go from just singing campfire songs. Yeah. And having a blast to doing like a little mashup church medley stuff. And everybody knows it. And it's like, see, it's there. It's Do you have a favorite hymn from church? Is like, oh, no. I mean, actually, I do. I I like to do a meditation hymn after communion every week. What's that? Uh, Just, it's a song that I pick that is. It's always something very deep and something very meaningful to me. Mm. And those are the, that's the song that most people are like, I see them craning their neck around to see what's going on up there. What it, wow. what it was the song. And, you know, there's a song from Michelle Nordeman called Every Season. Um, it's just a beautiful song. Can you and play a little? Can you give me a little I, taste? Just a taste? I don't know if I could do that on guitar. I could do that on piano. Um, that's the song. There's another song called Blessings by Laura Story. Um there are like there are a lot of songs like contemporary christian songs that i'll sneak in as that meditation song and yeah. those are the, that's the song that most people will say what was that song what did you what was that right because they just lo- they just go into like this special trance between them and god i i'll tell you i remember it was at one of my kids maybe it was sarah's wedding and we had you uh play some tunes and sarah myself bernie and matt uh, came to your house and you played a couple tunes, put the music together. I'm like, man, it just didn't, it just felt so good. It just, it's, that's when it, it's always the best when it's unplanned, when it just happens. Yeah. When music just happens spontaneously, it's the, it's the best. But there are some songs that like aren't in the, in, you know, in the hymn book, if you will. Oh, yeah. This, you know, oh, yeah. but it's like, hey, this is applicable. This is good. We're going to go with this. And some priests will be like, "Hey, you can't play that, right?" I mean, oh like, no, I never have, I never have that problem because all of my songs are about Jesus and God, and they're all. I mean, they might not be in a Catholic hymnal, but they're definitely Christian. Okay, you know, like okay. I'm, it's not like I'm doing a, a Beatles song, you know. <laughs> hey Jude. Hey Jude. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, like, I never get. No one ever is like, "Oh, you can't do that song." I'm like, "Is, is it bringing people closer to God? Because it brings me closer to God." Yeah. And it helps me in my understanding of my relationship with God, then most people are going to feel the same way. So that's usually how it goes down. Okay. Um, let me see if I could. Um, let me see. Um, now I just need to find the right key. 
every evening sky an invitation to trace the pattern stars and early in July a celebration for freedom that is ours and I notice you in children's games and those who watch them from the shade even now in uh, see, this is where it would be, would be helpful if I knew the words. Um, <laughs> That's every good stuff. drop of sun is full of fun and wonder. You are summer. And even when the leaves have just surrendered. To the harvest time Forfeiting their leaves Late September Chasing us inside Still I notice you When change begins And I am braced For colder winds I will offer thanks For what has been and is to come you are autumn and everything in time and under heaven finally falls asleep wrapped in blankets white all creation Shivers underneath Still I notice you When branches crack And in my breath On frosted glass Even now in death You open doors For life to enter You are winter And everything that's new Bravely surfaced, teaching us to breathe. What was frozen through is newly purposed, turning all things green. So it is with you, and how you make things new with every season's change. And so it will be. As you are recreating me Summer, autumn, winter, spring Woo! I love the recreating me. How about that? That's cool stuff. Oh, that's that a story. Awesome. Are you kidding? That's a story of my life. I heard that song and you just, like every once in a while, a song, like you'll hear a song and you just, you just feel the welling up. Yeah. And that was the song when I just felt the welling up. I yeah. felt like I had reached a point in my life where I was so broken hmm. and so at the bottom. And hmm. I just, and it was, and, and God was nowhere to be found in my life. From my perspective, from my yeah. view, and and I was not in a good place. Where did you find him? What happened? What, like, oh. where, where, like you're saying, I'm at the bottom. I'm broken. 
Okay. And all of a sudden, God comes in. So I'm going to give you the shorter version. Okay. All right. Because when my wife and I tell this story, people's eyes just like they're glued. They just can't. They're like, there's no way that this happened. Yeah. And I said, no, this is exactly what happened. So my wife and I met the year after I graduated Marywood. She's also a Marywood graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, she knew me when I was a senior, but I did not know her. She was a freshman. I met her the a year later. Uh, stopped at her apartment looking for one of my friends. Mm-hmm. He was dating her roommate. And then turns out there was going to be a party there that weekend. And we're talking to each other. I was down on the street. And she's up in the, the apartment window. Yeah. We're talking to each other. We were both dating other people at the time. And we became very fast friends. And we became really consults to each other about our relationships. My mm-hmm. relationship was not going great. And neither was hers. And... um a year later at a, by the, it was a, it was well over a year later that our, both of those relationships ended and we started dating. Hmm. We fell in love with each other and started, and it wasn't like, it was definitely not love at first sight or like, Oh my gosh, I have to be with this woman. Yeah. It was, you, you a were t- yelling up the steps for directions or something. It she was, was telling you, t- what, yeah. what are you doing here? It was a total love <laughs> is blind situation where I just, I slowly grew deeper and deeper in love with her from talking to her. Mm. and having her she just was so genuinely trying to help me through my relationship and as i was doing the same and then eventually you know if you're not in a good relationship it's not gonna it's not gonna go it's Mm -hmm. not gonna so it didn't um i asked her to marry me on december 8th 1991 on the feast of the immaculate conception it just happened to work out that way i don't know if i was Mm. really planning that but it was fortuitous it was a it was a sunday night um and asked her to marry me and a year later on thanksgiving weekend 1992 we got married nine months and three days later we had our first child alice nice and my mother confirmed that it fell within the boundaries <laughs> of the nine months as all catholic as mothers all would catholic in mothers that era would. i'm like mom it happened on the honeymoon it's all good it's all good <laughs> she just kind of looked at me like you're lucky <laughs> you uh so anyway Alex, our first son, was easy, so we decided we were going to have another one right away, and Christian came along 14 months later. Oh, my God, Irish twins. Yep, yep, and Christian was not easy, so we took our time with Bailey, who was our third and uh, youngest child, Yeah. Um, and he was born four years later. Yeah. Um, We had a world, we just had so much going on, Uh, the, the two very important factors was that two months to the day before we got married, my sister Jennifer died. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, she's with me. I feel her all the time. I talk to her all the time. Mm, Um, I love that you can say that. Oh my gosh, all the time, all the time. time. And I feel her, I hear her saying to me, it's okay. Well, we're all going to be, we're all going to see each other. We're all coming home someday. She's like, you're you're not going to believe how fast it's going to go by. Mm. That was 30 years ago. And I still feel like it was yesterday that she died. That was 30 years ago this wow. year. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. And so a year and a half before my sister died, she was 20. Um, Chris's brother died oh, of no. a very rare form of brain cancer. Oh. And he was he and Jennifer would have been within about a year of each other in age. Wow. And so you would think that that would be a factor that could draw us together as a couple and make us closer. It was not. We should have never gotten married when we did. We should have taken time to work out a lot of stuff, and sure. we didn't. And we should have, but we didn't. So we had that. We had two kids. You know, you just you. 
I was just pushing, pushing, pushing through. I started my own business. I had my own video production company going. Yeah. yeah. She was a Catholic teacher making no money. Yeah. We were, we bought a house that we fixed up over on Webster Avenue in South Scranton. If we did not have a tenant on the second floor, there's no way that we could have afforded to live in that house. You're like a young, struggling couple. And it was like, I mean, the house was like $30,000. It's not like we moved into yeah. a mansion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if we paid all of our bills and we had enough money to get a couple of cheesesteaks and a bottle of Boone's. Yeah. You White know, House hoagies and yours. White House hoagies. You were, you were yeah. like, this oh, is it. like living high off the hog. Like, <laughs> this is where it's at. And so my business grew, um, you know, we started, we, we bought a big house in the hill section. She started a school in the house. That business started to grow. We were just, it was just go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. We worked very hard at being successful, but we did not grow together as a couple. We mm. continued to grow further and further apart. In the meantime, though, you've got a couple of little kids running around. Oh, three kids. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm. And, um, so we didn't, we never looked more successful. We never had more money than we did at that point. We had been married nine years and we had this big, beautiful house, big car, three kids dressed to the nines. I had my own successful business. She was running a school. Like it was like we were, but like our it. relationship was at its absolute worst. It was like the more we got, the worse we were because we just were not working on each other at all. Wow. And being present for each other and being in that relationship. And we started to go to count. We did counseling, marriage counseling for two years. Two years. That's a long time. Multiple counselors. We did Retrovi, which was a retreat weekend. We did follow-ups for, I don't know, maybe two or three months after wow, you that. you really put the work in. Journaling. Oh, we did everything. Because divorce was not an option. Right. Neither one of us wanted to get divorced all, but we knew we were just miserable. Waking up in your own house like it the worst feeling in the world like you're like nothing's right what's the solution we got divorced Ooh. we got divorced and that we had to be a tough pill for you to it swallow. was the worst. i went into depression i became clinically depressed wow and um it was extraordinarily difficult you did it for the children i did it for the children i didn't i did not want them growing up in a house where they thought that that our relationship and the mm -hmm. way we were together was normal wow because that's not how i grew up right my parents i knew my parents loved each other mm -hmm. they never i mean of course every family sees fights and stuff sure um but chris didn't grow up in a in a house like that either yeah and neither one of us knew how to fix it and it's not like we didn't try yeah we just had no we had no tools to do it mm. so we ended up getting divorced after 11 years of marriage um, we kept this big house. She found a house over in Greenridge. I bought a house a couple blocks away. It was another fixer-upper. Yeah. And we kept this house, and she ran the school here for a couple of years, and I moved my office in. And we saw each other all the time, and we yeah. talked all the time. Yeah, you were civil. And it wasn't like we didn't, like we were just out of each other's lives. We were more than civil. We were, yeah. we were co-parenting. Yeah. yeah, we weren't friends. Okay. Like we didn't hang out and right, go right. out all the time. But we relied on each other financially. We relied on each other to raise two kids and make sure we were both on the same page. That, I think, is part of the success in any relationship when you lean on each other. Oh, we had, a, we had one of our last counselors who was amazing. He said, you know, people who are like thinking about getting divorced, you're sitting on the fence. And he said, there's no 
All I can say is that it's very uncomfortable to sit on a fence. You got to get on one side or get on the other side. Mm. If you're going to stay together, work, put the work in and do it. If you're going to get divorced, guess what? It's going to be just as much work to have a happy divorce as it is to have a happy marriage. Is so there you such guys, a thing as a happy is, divorce? Well, Chris and I proved that there was. It was, a, it was, happy is not the right word, but it was, it was acceptable. It was good. Yeah. The kids never felt like they were pulled. We mm. never made it about them. It was seamless. Yeah. parenting, um, right down to gifts and birthdays and how we short up time and being able to do certain things together. But you're going on with your life. Absolutely. Eventually, we both went on with our lives and she got remarried and mm -hmm. I got remarried. We both wow. got remarried. Wow. And she, her marriage lasted eight or nine years. That's a long time. And my marriage did not last that long mm -hmm. um but her marriage started to unravel and my marriage started to unravel also about um, the same time about almost exactly the same time wow and we had we, we saw each other at basketball games and i started to notice that her husband wasn't there and my wife was not there and we would kind of sit close to each other and we'd talk and you know talk about things and one night my sister was there because she stayed very close with my sister and my sister will say, I always knew you two would get back together. My sister yeah. will say that. Yeah. We were like, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. sure, we will. Yeah. Um, but I made an offhand comment like, do you know anybody who needs a roommate? And she said, yeah. And she mentioned her husband's name. And I'm like, I almost fell off the bleacher. Wow, you did not realize. I had no idea. I'm like, what is going on? So we ended up talking that night. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the end for both of us. Um, my wife struggled with... Um, a life-threatening addiction that mm -hmm. really almost took her life on multiple occasions. And mm -hmm. she could not, she just couldn't get a handle on it. And, and it was devastating to, to us as a couple. Yeah. And she eventually ended up going into a year long rehab wow. where I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't call her on the phone. I couldn't see her. Wow. We could write each other letters back and forth. And, I, joined, I I started going to Al-Anon at the time, and mm -hmm. that's when my life started to get better. You recommend Al-Anon? Oh, to, I, I would recommend Al-Anon to anyone, even if you don't know an addict or have an addict or it's someone that with good. addiction in the family. They're that supportive. What you learn in that program seems to me, it's like so common sense, basic stuff. I mean, like we would look at each other like, why aren't they teaching this in kindergarten? Why don't we learn the basics of this? Of the, of the concept that the only person that you can fix is you. Mm, <laughs> like that yeah. is, to me is... That's basic. It's so basic and so yeah. common sense. Mm -hmm. And if you have addiction in your family, if you have a, a spouse or a child, yeah. you're, we were raised, most, most people were raised to say, I will do anything to help this person. I will throw myself in front of a bus. I will give everything to, to save this person and to help them. Sure. It is so counterintuitive to what you learn in Al-Anon. Oh, it's work on yourself. It's exactly the opposite of everything that you intuitively think you should be doing to help somebody recover from addiction. Because there's nothing you can do to help. You can pray for them. Right. Right? Yeah. But you can work on you. And that's what I started to do. I started to work on me and issues that I carried with me my entire life. Wow. From when I was very young, right through every relationship problem I've ever had, every emotional problem problem I've ever had. How long, the how long in Alana? I was six years in Alana up until COVID. Wow. And then we did the virtual meetings and so. Wow. Yeah. 
it was a long time. And, and Al-Anon is the program that saved my life. Wow. And it saved, and it saved, well, eventually Chris started going wow. with me to the meetings. Just out of curiosity, say, hey, can I? She was, she was pretty um, fascinated as to how different I seemed. Okay. She saw the transformation. I was like, I like this. this She's like, I don't know what you're doing, but I like it. And can I get some of that? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, just come to a meeting. Anybody can go to a meeting. That's right? cool. Right. And you yeah. go and you go thinking you're going to go and get the tools you need to go fix somebody else. That's the irony of it. Right. You know, it's, and then you go and you learn all these tools and it's about fixing yourself. It's wow. just about fixing you. And yeah. it's, it was like, it was so refreshing and so eye-opening. But what it really did was it transformed me in from the guy in my first marriage to my first wife, Chris, who every time there was an argument, every time there was a problem, I would look at her and I would be like, why can't you just get your act together? Why can't you just be this other? Why can't you be different? Yeah. Al-Anon made me into a guy that says, to this day, I still say it, if there's a conflict, if something comes up, I say, all right, what am I doing wrong? What's my role in this? What can I be doing better? Mm, How could I be handling this what better? What a difference. Right? Like all those basic things that we should be taught as human beings. Mm -hmm. Conflict resolution. Honesty. Mm. Taking personal inventory. Mm. It's the same exact program that somebody who struggles with addiction, it, they, they're doing the same exact 12 steps that, that we do in Al-Anon. Mm -hmm. Everyone should just grasp, get a grasp of those basic 12 steps. But, but because our, it has but our ego gets in the way oh, so often. Yeah, of course. And it's not ego the way that most people define ego. Like, oh, that guy walks into a room and he thinks he's the best. It's not that ego. It's the kind of ego that says, I got this. I can fix it. I right. can do it all. I don't need anybody's help, especially God's help, especially God's yeah. help. Yeah. Right? And, you know, you're, if I was very young in the program. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just going to give all this to God. Well, I would do. I'd give it to God all the time. And then I would immediately take it back. I'm like, no, nah, I got it. I got it. I'll give it to you for a little while, but I, yeah. it really, I got it. Yeah. And so it changed me. It made me a much more healthy person. And that allowed me to have a healthy relationship. And so Chris and I started hanging out. She got divorced for a second time. I got divorced for a second time. We were like, and serious financial straits because of going through two divorces and what that did to us financially. And um, we never had as little money at any time, and we were never so healthy and so happy in our lives. We would just loved hanging around together. Wow. We started doing holidays together. We'd start go to the movies together. We'd go were to the kids dinner. with you as well then? Oftentimes, yeah, the yeah. kids were with us. And, you know, you would think the kids would be like, oh, my gosh, this is what every child dreams of. Our kids were, like, very uneasy mm. about getting their hopes up mm -hmm. that we might get back together and then we'd rip the carpet out from under them. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think both Chris and I felt the same way. Um, we were out in California. We had been hanging out, hanging out. I laugh when I say it because yeah. people are like, you're dating, you're dating. We're like, no, we're not dating. Oh, still at this point, you go to at California, point, you're not dating. You're we're, just hanging we're out. Four, you're friends. Four years we were friends. Four years. And we all go out. Uh, Chris and I and the three boy and the two two of the three boys because Alex is living out there yeah. um, at his girlfriend's house. His girlfriend's living in an apartment while she finishes school, and he's living with the parents while he finishes um, coding um, a coding course that he was taking. And um, so there's our whole family like living in his girlfriend's family, and they were wonderful. Yeah. And sure enough, my youngest son Bailey calls me out, and he really? says, "Dad, my youngest says, Dad." You better figure this out. And he was angry. 
he was very angry and he's like, you're going to lose mom. You need to decide what it is. You need to figure it out. If you want to be together, you need to figure this out. Wow. Or else you're going to lose her. Wow. I, you could have knocked me over with a feather. We had a very, we had a good long conversation. It was well over. It was close to an hour that Bailey and I talked and cried. And yeah, I ended up right after that, I walked to right up to where his mom was sitting out in the front of the house and Chris and I talked for another hour about all of our fears. Yeah. And we're like, let's do this. Let's give this a shot. What's the worst that can happen? Right. That we fall in, that we're in love and that it works out. Right. Like right. what's, and we started dating at that moment. Wow. We ended up going out to eat that night. We all got in the rental car and she reached out and I reached out and we held hands on the console in the center console between the two front seats. And the three boys are in the back seat wow. giggling. Yeah. They were giggling like they were in second grade. Man. Like, ooh, what's going this on? This is divine intervention. Oh, yeah. So from that moment on, we started dating officially because we had not had any physical relationship for four years that we were hanging out. Wow. Um, because when did you remarry? Well, we were walking around the lake, Lake Scranton. This was March of the, of the onset of the pandemic when everything had to shut down. Yeah. So we started to walk around the lake almost every day. Yeah. So maybe it was April. It was getting warmer out. I'm, you know, we're walking around the lake and I turn around and I'm like, do you want to get married? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And that was it. That was in April. And then we got remarried without a whole lot of fanfare. Yeah. Um, well, the pandemic's here, so you really pandemic. can't. Yeah. Right? It was just basically my closest family. Her yeah. family could, most of her family could not even be here mm -hmm. from Florida. And we got married on November 28th of that year. It was the 28th anniversary to the day of the first time we got married. Wow. And Father Pat, my best friend, who had married us the first time, married us then. Wow, is that cool? Yeah. Wow. So, and of course, he had a couple little side jokes that he threw in there. Yeah. Of course, you could expect that. Um, and I definitely deserve them. Um, but it was, our three sons were our best men, and they all gave a blessing over us yeah. during the Mass. And then at a little gathering at our house, that evening, they all gave us a toast. And wow. everyone, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye there. Yeah, it's you cool. Know? Bailey said, our youngest said, he said, from the moment that you were not together, he said, every birthday, every time I ever blew out a candle or had to make a wish, this was my wish. Oh, my God. And he God. said, I can't believe that you're wow. actually... What child would not want their parents to... Oh, man, is that wild. Yeah. Every wish, this is what I wish for. Yeah, every single wish from the time that he was five years old. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was like... His prayers know, were answered. We're just all... Everyone was crying. It was very... It yeah. was very emotional. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Oh, um, I'm, I'm happy for you. We sang a song at the wedding. Um, the boys and I sang, all four of us sang to Chris as a surprise. And it was Randy Newman, Feels Like Home. And the song is just about finding your way back to where you belong. That's the whole song. Whoa. And it was, Nail was on the head. Wow. And it was beautiful. Imagine, now, can you sing a little bit? Or is it, is, can you do I, that on guitar? I'm going to have to, I have to see if I could. Uh, all right. You, you chatter a little bit. I'm going to see just, if I can find the I lyrics. am just in awe of this story <laughs> because, yeah, you know, the, I felt I'd known you for decades and I didn't know this whole backstory. Well, it's I mean, just, what's, what's, I, I, I dare to use the word hilarious, but when Chris and I bump into somebody that knew us as a couple first yeah, and then heard that we got divorced 
and then saw us back together. Like, wait, what, what happened? What? You can't. Yeah, the, wait, the look what? on their face yeah. is, um, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Wow. That is, that is, that oh, is good stuff. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. And right, it's, I, have, I have some lyrics here. Let me see if I can. You're going to give it a roll. I love it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. <clears throat> I have not done this since uh, November of two years past. Whoa. Something in your eyes makes me want to lose myself. Makes me want to lose myself in your arms. Something in your voice makes my heart beat fast. I hope this feeling lasts the rest of my life. If you knew how lonely my life has been and how long I've been so alone if you knew how I wanted someone to come along change my life way you've done it feels like home to me feels like home to me feels like I'm all the way back where I belong oh, I love it yeah <laughs> Yeah, that is a perfect song. It was about as perfect. Uh, it was about as perfect a song as you can have. Yeah, actually. So, yeah. Um, wow. So I, I'm a firm believer at 55 that you're going to end up exactly where God wants you to end up, as long as you're not fighting it. And I fought it. Trust yeah. me, I fought it. And so many people, I feel so bad, but they never, they fight it their whole lives. They do fight they it. They never get to the point where they should be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anyone who has not had trouble falling asleep, or wakes up in the middle of the night on occasion, and then they can't fall back asleep. Their mind is racing with every weight, every worry, every problem. Yeah. Theirs and other people's. Yeah. And they don't know what to do with those thoughts, and it starts to become a downward spiral. You know, you think of those World War. One movies where the Red Baron shooting planes oh, down yeah, and they just yeah. come crashing to the ground. There's no way to pull out, and that's what happens. And if you spend too much too much time in your mind, those are the moments people say, "Well, what do you do? What do you do? How do you how do you deal with that?" And I say, "That's the stuff that I give to God." Mm. My I go back to my every daily morning prayer when I say, "God, do for me today that which I cannot do for myself." Mm. I've got stuff that's under my control, right? Give it and, to God. I, and I got a whole lot of stuff that I have no control over at all. If somebody told me 10 years ago yeah. that I would be divorced again, You'd that I no would way. reconnect with my first wife and that we would fall back in love, find our way back to each other and remarry. Yeah. I, you know how I would look at them. I'd be like, what? Yeah. That's impossible. Wow. That is impossible. 
And, and you know, what's crazy is, as you said, that, that was God's plan. I like to believe that that was God's plan all along. But had I not gone through everything that I had gone through and, mm. and fixed what needed to be fixed, there's no way I would ever have been able to maintain or be in a healthy relationship for mm -hmm. the rest of my life, ever, if I wasn't able to fix what was wrong with me. And yeah. it, took, it took me hitting the absolute bottom to start to rebuild and find yeah. what was important and to, you, to have God fill in those blanks. That it's I like, was trying to fill, I, you know, you try to fill in the blank, the blanks in your life with anything, money. It's you know. like, um, you know what it ring, makes me think of? The song, and you're going to know the lyrics and the words, and uh, don't give up until you drink from the silver cup. This is for all the lonely people oh, thinking yeah. life has passed them yeah. by. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, you're turning it over to God, basically saying, hey, you know. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. The moment I stopped fighting, the moment I, you know. It's, um, there's a movie called Contact, I think, with Jodie Foster, and she, they find an alien signal, and they end up building this machine that travels through time, that travels through space and time. Yeah. Um, the metaphors in the movie are, fascinate me, because they build this craft, and the scientists try to make it better by attaching the seat. For some reason, the seat inside this egg-shaped thing is not attached to the craft. Yeah. And so... The scientists are like, well, this isn't what we're going to attach. We're going to do it our way. Yeah. We're not going to follow the plans. We're going to attach this darn thing, right? Yeah. So they attach it to the ceiling. And as this craft starts to move, it starts to shake and shudder. And it's like shaking her to pieces, like it's going to kill her. Yeah. Being strapped into the seat that is attached. And all of a sudden, this, the shaking and the vibrations and the violence of this ride breaks the seat off of the craft. Mm-hmm. And the seat starts to float effortlessly in the middle of this craft. And the shaking stops. And she is not being shaken to pieces. Mm. Because instead of trying to control that situation, it just happened the way it was supposed to happen. And I feel like when we're trying to drive the boat, yeah. life is shaking us the way that that, sh that seat was shaking like crazy until it just breaks off. Right. And then we stop fighting it and we are effortlessly right where we're supposed to be. Let it be. Let it be. Let you just let it happen. Yeah. Absolutely let it happen. Wow. Wow. It's pretty deep. It's deep stuff. Did your brain just go like. And <laughs> <laughs> what my brain is saying, what's next then? Like, where, where do you go next? Oh my gosh. We have so many. Well, we have lots of plans, but we've learned to not. <laughs> we've learned to say if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. Yeah. Um, Chris and I wrote a book um, for children uh, called Sidewalks, and it's basically a take. It's it's uh, for kids who come from families with addiction. Yeah. And she's an educator, early childhood ed educator. Yeah. Um, and going back to when she would say, "We need to teach kids about the the concept of taking care of yourself and what addiction is," and that's where you address addiction. You address it generationally. Wow. When these kids are That's as young profound. as four and five years old. Yeah. So Sidewalks is basically the story of this young girl who goes to live with her grandmother while the mother goes into rehab. Yeah. And the grandmother takes her through the steps of having to go get recovery. And so it's a beautiful book. And we didn't want to sell it. We want to give it away. So we got a short, we got a small grant from the All One Foundation. And, wow. and we have a nonprofit partner, Children's Service Centers. And so we're doing a pilot program now to distribute the books to like that, 19 school districts. That is cool. She has, su your wife, Chris, has such a gift. My 
oldest daughter. Oh, that's Sarah. Doc, that's Doctor Chris. Doctor Chris. <laughs> <laughs> she laughs when I say. Yeah, Sarah got her master's at Marywood, and she said, "Chris, absolutely the yeah. best educator, hands down, by far. Yeah, of anyone she ever encountered. Yeah, she was the chairperson of the education department at Marywood, and just is revered. I mean, and just so smart. Cool. Well, you know, and now running my, a school, my grandkids yeah. go to the school. Yeah, and they're like they yeah. love it. She has a remarkable gift. That's her. That's her life mission is yeah. educating children. Yeah, I love like we'll just be out. We'll just be like at the Viewmont Diner, and like somebody in their twenties will be like, "Oh, hi, doctor." Yeah. Uh, and either she taught them at Marywood or they were yeah. went to her school when they were at the Jefferson Schoolhouse. I mean, yeah. that just well, yeah, I mean, because you could yeah. be, you know, as a professor right. at a young age, right? You, you could be talking to someone that's 35 years old and they're saying, Hi, doctor, <laughs> right? So that's one of our goals. And um, I am starting a YouTube channel called Dan Dan the Music Man. Come on, I'm serious. I teach the kids love Dan Dan the music. I man. teach music at the school on yeah. Fridays. Yeah, I do three 20 minute classes with the kids, and we like what's the music for Dan Dan the music man? Like, what oh, would you I sing would... to a little guy? I, I okay, can't, you're not gonna sing uh, Cats in the Cradles to a little kid. No, I'm gonna do either. I would do like, let's say we're learning about reptiles, so it would have to be uh, this would be a, an echo song. You have to echo, all right, so you have to participate here. Okay, reptiles are. Reptiles are. Yeah, you're terrible. Let's, all right, let's all right. Try, let's let me try, try it again. Here. All right, reptiles are. Reptiles are really scaly. Really scaly. Reptiles use. Reptiles use sharp claws daily. Sharp claws daily. Reptiles love. Reptiles love sun, 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 and reptiles have and reptiles have lots of fun, 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 lots of fun, fun. fun. All right, so I, <laughs> the basically. little kids love that stuff. Oh my gosh, they Dan, Dan, the music man. They, I hear that they love it for so my grandchildren. Yeah, maybe that will be my legacy. Yeah, it will be. I don't. That's know. what's next, though. Yeah, the and, book and maybe grandchildren. Who knows? Absolutely. I don't oh, know. you're gonna love them. Chris likes to say. Do it in order, boys. Just do it. Do things in order. Fall in love, get married, then have kids. Like she just like you know. Yeah, she's yeah old. of course. She's <laughs> old. She's old fashioned. Yeah, well, she's a teacher. She is. A she's teacher. she's exact hundred percent right. She's do a it, teacher. Do it in order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, my closing thought is a thank you for asking me to be a part of this because it's always fun to look back on your life and yeah, kind of condense your own story and think about it. Thank you, know, you take, for sharing take it. Take stock. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and second of all, I am just thankful every day that I get out of bed in the morning. Every single day. I'm Thank thankful. God. Yeah. yeah. You're a good man, Dan. Yeah. Thank I, you. I love you, brother. Oh, you said brother. I know. it. I had to yeah. sandwich that in. Oh, you did. I you love were... you. I love you, and, and we're not brothers, but we could be. Yeah. You could be my brother from another mother. <laughs> Dan Simrel, thanks for being on my podcast. Happy to do it, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye.